In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. After hearing the drama-filled story of Easter on Easter Sunday, and after listening to Thomas's doubt-shattering encounter with the risen Christ last Sunday, that also taught us a lot about forgiveness, today we're treated to what sounds on one level like a common fishing story. And if you want to hear all of my fishing tales, maybe catch me at coffee hour. Um, I used to be a great fisherman. Haven't been for a while, but anyway. Gathered together for this occasion were Peter and Thomas and Nathaniel, the brothers James and John, and two other disciples who weren't named. Seven disciples, faithful followers, all together in the same place. They were finally no longer hiding in Jerusalem because they were afraid for their life. They're near this beautiful freshwater lake known as Tiberias, or sometimes we also know it as the Sea of Galilee. It's about a two-day walk north of Jerusalem, and perhaps they just needed to get away. You know that feeling, right? Um, It had been a rather intense couple of months leading up to this time. All this talk with Jesus about his suffering and death, and he was getting awfully intense in trying to teach them in these last few months what it would be like to be a disciple and a follower of Jesus. And then they went through his trial and his death and his resurrection, and it just maybe was too much for them. So they needed to relax. So I can hear Peter saying, I'm going to go fishing. And the others agreed to go along. We're with you, Peter, they said. But like so many fishing adventures, you start out with a lot of enthusiasm and hopes and dreams, and then the fish jets don't seem to be there. Or if they are there, they don't bite. What sounds like a good idea becomes a distraction and a weariness and a disappointment. It leads to nothing, and that's where we find the disciples. Most were probably asleep when Jesus appeared on the beach close enough to call them out, but they didn't know it was Jesus. He probably called out and said something like, Any luck? And they said, No. And then... Again, they don't know who it is. He calls out, try the other side of the boat. Imagine yourself in that situation. You've been out on the water for hours. You're tired, you're hungry, you're frustrated. Your shoulders are stiff and sore from throwing out the net and pulling in the net. You've caught nothing. And now some guy on the beach tells you what you should do. Still, they did it. 
and they weren't able to pull in the net because it was so full of fish. The disciple that Jesus loved recognized Jesus right away, talked with Peter. Peter knew then instantly that it was Jesus, and being always the impulsive one, he jumped into the water and swam toward shore, toward Jesus, and then the others followed in the boat, pulling this net with 153 large fish. Finally, Jesus was reunited with these seven disciples with whom he had spent a lot of time over the last three years and had gone through so much. But the rest of the story seems a little bit unusual. It includes no description of the men's great joy in their reunion Instead, it's kind of an understated story. It tells us how many fish there are but not, and what they ate for breakfast, but not what they talked about. There's this undercurrent of hushed silence as John narrates the story. He says, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They already knew it was the Lord, but it just seems to me a little bit odd doesn't it, that they don't say anything about it. This is a story, I think, that contains equal amounts of mystery and simplicity, enough of each to catch our attention. There's mystery in the presence of the risen Christ appearing to his friends from the shore unrecognized, The mystery deepens when he suggests that they simply put their nets over on the other side of the boat, and then there's this enormous success. And the mystery is honored when the disciples realize it is their Lord in the midst, but they remain silent, evidently so stunned by his presence that they hardly dare speak. His holy presence may be for them was something more of a reverence. You know, they just didn't want to say anything in that moment because just being in his presence was enough. Maybe it was awe. Maybe it was weariness. Maybe it was kind of the way we sit in church, you know, and we just want to sit and let our prayers and our thoughts be there and we don't want to hear things. On the outside. The mystery is palpable, but the story is told simply. It's a meeting with their crucified Lord, the risen Christ, but he appears as another fisherman offering good advice, resulting in a fine catch, and they recognize him more, though, over breakfast on the beach. The question is, shouldn't there be more drama in this meeting? Here's the ultimate divine human encounter. The crucified Messiah had been placed in a tomb. Some have seen the empty tomb. He's appeared to the disciples twice before to calm their fears, but they've not seen him since. So maybe they're still a little bit unsettled. I think that Peter 
is still a little embarrassed that he denied Jesus three times. Maybe the other disciples were a little embarrassed that they fled for fear of their own lives. Maybe they were a little embarrassed because they didn't at first believe the women who told them about the empty room, the empty tomb and the words of the angels that said, He is risen. We wonder, shouldn't this reunion be more glorious? It's a simple dialogue. Let's go fishing. Any luck. Try the other side. Bring me some fish. Let's have breakfast. The remainder of the text includes more about Jesus talking with Peter about, Do you love me? And uh, we're going to set that aside for now. But we want to focus on the risen Christ revealing himself to his friends in the common vocabulary and the common places of everyday life. I think this story is the perfect antidote for those who want a sign of God's presence but don't know where to find it. So they go to the holy places, and they come to church, and they wait for this glorious, wonderful moment when they have a vision or a sense or a word from God, and then maybe they're surprised to realize it didn't happen. Maybe the surprise is that these wonderful moments that we seek can happen anywhere and everywhere. For years, we've kind of used the words up and down to where God and humans live. We sometimes think of up as where God is, right? We look up to the heavens. We have to have a mountaintop experience, and we're waiting for those experiences with God to come down from above. The message is for us today that God has come down. We don't have to climb up to meet Jesus. Jesus reveals that God has come down to earth where we live, and God meets us in the common places. And maybe When God meets us, it's not always as dramatic as we think it might be or as it ought to be. Maybe it's just that God is with us all the time, and that's good enough. When I worked for the San Francisco Night Ministry, we had great volunteers who would staff our crisis line, and so often when they came to their first training, they were so eager because they thought that their job was to save the world, and they imagined that every night there would be several people who were on the brink of life and death, suicidal, you know, and that they would be there to save those people. Well, while that happened occasionally, most of the callers were simply lonely. 
They would wake up in the middle of the night with anxiety, with minds racing. They would know that all of their friends were asleep, so they couldn't call them. And then they would call night ministry. Or others were homebound. They were just starving for human contact. And others had mental health issues, making it difficult for them to be taken seriously by other people so they would call us because we would listen to them without mocking them or turning them away. Today we are reminded to look for God's presence maybe in the common and ordinary things. Jesus came to earth not in the form of royalty, but as a baby. And the church celebrates Jesus' presence in the simple things, in water of baptism, in the bread and wine of communion, simple events and simple elements. He told us to become like a child in matters of faith. He is present where two or three are gathered. We are judged based on how we treat the least of these. He spoke in the daily jargon of farmers and fishing people, not in the refined vocabulary of scholars. Where shall we look to find God's presence? Maybe at home, maybe in our neighborhood, maybe at work, maybe among family and friends, maybe even in our enemies, certainly in this place and other places in nature, in relationships. The question might be, why do so many of us still look up into heaven? Let us not be so heavenly-minded that we think we are of no earthly good. Jesus revealed God's presence in a net full of fish, a breakfast on the beach, and maybe we don't need to be surprised. It's God's nature to find us wherever we are and to reveal God's glory even in the simple things. And for that, we can be grateful. Amen.